We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. The Indiana Pacers select Paul George of Fresno State University. The Pacers select Reggie Miller of UCLA. The Indiana Pacers select Solomon Hill from the University of Arizona. The Indiana Pacers select Brandon Rush from the University of Kansas. The Indiana Pacers select Goga Bitaze from Tbilisi, Georgia. The Indiana Pacers select Roy Hibbert from Georgetown University. The Indiana Pacers select Miles Turner from the University of Texas. Happy July, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Prospect Chronicles here on Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me as he does every week, it's the one and only, the still not shaven head, Michael Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Still not shaven, never will. I'm riding it out. You know, I, I hope I got a good <laughs> about 30 years before I turn into a Rick Carlisle type. But hey, we got a fun episode for you guys today. We are covering four prospects today. Um, guys that, hey, you know, they, they, they could be sliding up. They could be moving up. They could be sliding down. But uh, a few names that are going to be thrown at you. We have Trey Mann. We have Jaden Springer. We have Ayo uh, DeSumo, and we have uh, Cameron Thomas from LSU. Also, yeah. What are your thoughts today on uh, these prospects? Yeah, so we had Derek Murray join us from basketballnews.com, and I know that's a great website that's really just been doing awesome things over the last couple of years. I think they launched last year, so Derek really knows his NBA draft stuff, and uh, I think you guys are going to like what he has to say. He has a great insight on all of these players. Um, he ranks all four of them at the end and talks about their possibility of landing 13 with the Pacers. Um, we talked a little bit at the end about what guy he likes the most for Indiana at 13. And one of our favorites he uh, discussed where he could possibly land. So um, I'm excited, Fachi. This conversation, I felt like I really learned a lot. And I, I think Derek is a great follow. Make sure you guys follow him at D Murray, M U R R A Y N B A, D M U R R A Y N B A on Twitter. Just a great follow. Yeah, Derek really knew his stuff. He is locked in. I mean, they have been watching these players, you know, work out. They have really uh, 
Derek's done his research. So I, I trust what he says here. And it was interesting to hear more about some of the players that, you know, I know we covered more of the, the guys going in like the top 10 where these are guys that it could be interesting to see if the Pacers try and, you know, if they were to make a move to get another first round pick, these are a lot of guys that could be there and it would be exciting. Absolutely. So let's get out of the way, Fachi, and bring on our guest, Derek Murray. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Derek, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, Alex? Appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely, man. We're glad to have you. And we're here to talk about some of these guards and some of these wings here. Um, in the NBA draft, now, not a lot of them are projected to go as high as the Pacers pick, but there's still some intriguing names out there. And one name that keeps rising up that we're going to start off here with today is Trey Mann from Florida. Um, you know, just a smooth combo guard. He's got a sweet shooting stroke. I really, really like Trey Mann as a prospect. Um, he worked out for the Pacers on June 30th. What are your thoughts on Trey Mann as a prospect? So man really took a huge step forward this year at Florida. You know, he was a highly, highly uh, touted recruit, uh, really struggled his freshman year at Florida, grew about an inch and a half, put on some good weight last offseason and really performed well, especially as a scorer and a shooter, averaged 16 points, three and a half assists a game. And I think what really stands out about him is his movement, um, you know, very flexible, can stop on a dime, can change speeds, change directions really, really well. And he's got tight handles. So uh, for anybody who hasn't seen him, you know, go and watch the NCAA tournament. He had some great performances where he had a lot of snatchbacks, step back, sidesteps on his shots. And, you know, the pre pre-shot footwork is really, really strong. And I think he's going to excel as a scorer. Now, you know, Matt Babcock and I were down in Florida a couple weeks ago and got to see him work out down with his agent, Aaron Turner, down in Miami. Um, you know, he measured in, I think, six, three and a half or whatever at the combine. It was a good positional size. And, you know, he was a pleasure to speak with as well. I think he's a good kid. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy you want in the locker room. Um, 15 to 25 feels like his draft range at this point, maybe even 15 to 30. So that's probably where I expect him to end up. But again, good shot creator, a lot of, a lot of skills and tools to work with. 
you know, as, as it relates to being a shot creator, uh, Trey mentioned that he thinks that his ability to create for himself and shoot off the dribble with range is better than anyone else in this draft. And, hey, look, while, you know, I'm going to take it for what he says, I do know that this is a guy that shot at an efficient clip over 40%. But here's what I'm wondering. Do you see him more of a scorer in the NBA, or can he also be a starting point guard? Yeah, I've seen some I've seen some discussions about this recently about some writers. I don't remember who it was said they don't necessarily see him as a point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is he your prototypical one, you know, pure point guard? No, he's not. But a lot of these combo guards at the NBA level, the point guard position is so difficult that I almost would project them to be a shooting guard or a combo, where I think Trey Mann has a skill set to where you play him as a combo. But I do think there are minutes during the game you can play him as the point. You know, he's got excellent vision. He's a, he's a good passer, uh, either hand, either direction, on the move. Like, he sees the floor very well. So he's not some elite facilitator. But I think if you need to play him as your point guard, I think you can. I want to get into his game defensively because I know that there's still some things to be desired there, but I don't think he's necessarily as bad of a defender as some might think. So what, what have you noticed from him and watching film on him defensively that you like about his game? Yeah, look, uh, for me, as long as if you're a guard and you're heavy usage, as long as you're not a complete negative on defense, you know, I can work with you. And Trey Mann is not a negative on defense. You know, is he elite at anything? No, he's not. I would say he's adequate across the board. But again, that's a good defender for the amount of work he's going to have to do on the offensive end. Uh, He's intelligent, you know, good with his hands as far as, you know, providing stunts and digs when he needs to, smart rotations. He can be limited vertically uh, with a vertical jump. And, you know, in traffic, he doesn't elevate really well. Not the strongest guy either. But, again, he's not going to cause any kind of problems. He doesn't get caught sleeping. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be a negative anyway. So I don't look at that as, like, a poor part of this game. Yeah, when you mentioned that he's not a negative defender, I feel like I keep throwing the term around. Very capable defender. You know, it sounds like, hey, if the guy's going to put effort out there, he can at least be a capable defender. But one knock I've seen on him is his wingspan. Do you think that could be an issue in the next level? Yeah, especially when he gets in traffic in the paint, um, especially in the dunker spot or restricted area. He's very crafty, and if you watch a lot of his film, he's able to finish with, you know, different kind of finishes, either hand, you know, kind of jumping all over the place, and he's able to get the ball up and to the rim at a good clip. I do think that there will be some at least early struggles with NBA defenders. You know, NBA length gave him some trouble down low at times, getting just shot blocked a little bit. So I think that is something he's going to have to work on and probably score on the outside a little bit more than he is on the inside. Yeah, because speaking of the inside game, I know that he's not uh, known for being above the rim type of player, but he, he does have a really nice, you know, floater and his runners look pretty good. So do you, do you think that he's crafty enough on offense to really put defenses, you know, you know, put the, put pressure on defenses with his ability to at least get to the rim, maybe not finishing above, but just, Kind of like a Trey Young in a sense, you know, being able to get that floater up. Yes, because even with his footwork, you know, he creates advantages for himself really well, uh, can beat defenders off the dribble and at least put pressure on the rim. Uh, You know, he's also really good with drop-off passes going either direction. So even if he gets in the lane but doesn't intend to finish himself, he does a good job setting up the big men. 
Yeah, I think that Trey's one of those players that really benefited amongst the most returning to college for his sophomore year. You know, you mentioned that he averaged 16 points per game. That was up from the 5.3 as a freshman. So just a huge, you know, increase, especially from three-point range. I want to say it was maybe around 29% to basically over 40% from three. Uh, but one thing that kind of impressed me that gets lost in translation is rebounding ability. 5.6 rebounds per game. Do you think that's something, not to say that we can expect on the next level, but do you think for his size, he'll be a very capable rebounder in the NBA? Yeah, I think it's just that he's willing. You know, he's mm -hmm. willing to crash the boards when he can. Um, it's not that he's some elite rebounder, but again, get, getting to a high point is not going to be a strong suit. He's not going to out-rebound many people, but he constantly finds a way to put himself in the right spots. So he doesn't leak out. Uh, all the time he doesn't you know bail on the possession shot goes up he's willing to get in there and at least crash so that's where I think those rebounds come from and will likely come from at the next level too I want to talk a little bit about his shot and I'm curious do you think that he needs to work on his release a little bit make it a little bit quicker and is a little bit too low to get over you know elite level defensive play defensive players in the NBA I'm not worried about it right now because he creates so much space that I think he's still going to be able to get it off. Um, you know, I think Maxi was a guy last year who his shot truly was low enough to where it almost kind of came off his chest or chin a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, man's isn't necessarily as high as you want it to be. There is a little bit of a push, but at his size, uh, you know, unlike a lot of these smaller combo guards, I think he's going to be okay. You know, the first thing, like I mentioned before, is always going to be his shooting is going to be the first thing that stands out. Is there a part of his game that is just – far too underrated that people aren't talking about that he's doing well right now? I do think it's that he's a better passer and facilitator than he gets credit for. You know, he only had three and a half assists, yes. And if that number itself, you know, makes somebody say, oh, I don't know if he's the he can be a one. I mean, look, assist numbers are not indicative of a guy's ability to facilitate or create for his team. It's just not. Guys have to hit shots. You know, it's not like – Sometimes that just kind of frustrates me, you know. So I think he is a better passer than he gets credit for at this point. Everybody knows about the scoring, uh, the ability to create the space, the finishing in the lane. So I, I think the facilitation is where I give him a nod and just say, okay, I think he's a little bit better than maybe the public is saying right now. Yeah, so my last question on Trey Mann, and I ask this every time we have a guest on, um, I know player comps are really hard to, to do, but if there's a guy that maybe you could – maybe even a couple guys you could say that kind of resemble what his game is. Who would those pro comps be? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very similar to a little bit bigger, a little bit slower Darius Garland. And I've seen that one out there before. And I, I, I do actually like it because their footwork and ability to manipulate defenders is pretty similar. Um, you know, at least from an eye kind of aesthetic standpoint, it looks similar, but again, he is, he is bigger, um, not quite as herky-jerky movements, but his ability to stop on a dime and change directions, again, is also special, just like Garland's. Hey, I mean, Garland can score in the league. He really can. I mean, we got to see, you know, got to have that Cavs team get a little bit better. But, I mean, Darius Garland was a guy that I want to say was picked around five, uh, and that was coming off an injury. So, hey, if that's a comparison over there, I think there's a lot of promise for him. But switching right. over to someone, uh, another uh, prospect we want to talk about, Cameron Thomas. Uh, 6'4 point guard, shooting guard from LSU. This guy can flat out score. I think one of the best scorers in the draft led all freshmen in the draft in scoring. Why isn't he projected higher than where we're seeing him right now? Yeah, I mean, Thomas is a microwave scorer. Again, 23 points a game, 32% uh, from three, you know, more inefficient than you'd like. But again, 
the volume was there. I think he took seven, seven and a half attempts a game, uh, hit him at a decent rate, 88% from the free throw line. Uh, there are just a lot of questions about his game regarding, you know, willingness to pass as he, he's so tunnel vision as a scorer. Uh, 1.4 assists a game, uh, playing 34 minutes at the guard position. You know, that's the kind of thing where there is a discussion of is it ability versus willingness. And, you know, as much as the microwave scoring is there, is that all you're going to get out of it? Um, the defense is a big question, quite frankly, liability a lot of times on that end. So that's why I think you just don't see him mocked quite as high as um, maybe some other outlets have. Yeah, and based on what mock drafts you're looking at, I mean, I've looked at quite a few just to kind of get an idea of who could fall there in that 13 range for the Pacers. You know, probably about a month ago, I thought Cam Thomas's name was higher in the uh, in the mock drafts. And as they've – other other prospects have seen to catapult him in terms of mock drafts that I've seen. He continues to fall down into that late 20s. But when you watch some of these shots that he makes, I mean, hand in the face, five feet behind the three-point line, I mean, I mean, the guy gets buckets. There's no doubt about it. I mean, but his shot selection is terrible a lot of times. So I'm just curious, do you think that that has anything shot selection-wise to why he's moved down so much on these uh, mock drafts? Or do you think it's just because, like you just said, the tunnel vision type of thing? Yeah, shot selection. Um, again, often unwillingness to look for or hit open teammates. There's not really any there's not really any desire or drive, at least from the outside looking in, to get anybody open but himself. And while that does result in a lot of points and results and the ability to show off your scoring, you know, there is more to that in the game than just, than just being good at that, uh, you know, particular thing at one time. So that's why I think you've kind of seen him in the 20s. I believe we have him 29th uh, right now. There are a lot of other questions out there, uh, non-basketball related uh, that, that some teams have uh, up in the air about him as well. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing him slip. Yeah, because no one's going to deny his scoring ability. But just like you mentioned, there's so many other facets of the game that you want to add. And, you know, when you, when you mentioned it before, he's playing 34 minutes per game, a usage rate just over 31%. I mean, so he had the ball in his hands a lot. But when you mentioned from a playmaking standpoint, the 1.4 assists, I believe he averaged more turnovers than assists. So, does it feel like, do you think the ability to develop into more of a playmaker is a possibility in the NBA? Or is it just like, hey, if you draft Cameron Thomas, you better be ready to get a score because other than that, it's going to be hard to impact the game. Yeah, I think you're just getting a score at this point. But again, he is so skilled at what he does that if he locks in, the ability to create for others and truly play make, I think will come, uh, you know, I think he's too good to maybe to put in a box as far as his skill set. So I do think that's something he can develop for sure. I want to switch over to the defensive side of things, because when you look at Cam Thomas highlights, you don't see anything on defense. It's just all these crazy shots that he's hitting. So for me personally, I, I want to get your thoughts on him as a defender and how he's going to really struggle in the league if he doesn't improve on that side of the ball. I think for him, again, it's not physical limitations in any way. I think it's just the willingness to lock in and, and mentally play, play defense. Um, falls asleep a lot, poor rotations a lot, um, out of position, you know, multiple times a game. What will give him, though, is he's got really good instincts, you know, jumping, passing lanes, uh, using his hands and his lengths to get in there and dig and, and really disrupt the bigs. He does that very well, and I think he actually had a decent number of steals this season. Uh, but, again, you're really not going to get much. I think it's more willingness than a lack of ability. 
So, I mean, look, you know, you talked about the willingness. You really want a player like that to buy in. And, you know, like I mentioned, you know, three different times already. We know this guy can flat out score on three le- three different levels. I mean, whatever you need from a scoring standpoint. But just listed at 6'4", and I imagine that's what shoes on. Are we talking about an undersized two guard or more of a scoring point guard? And I understand that it's positionless basketball, but if he's not much of a point guard, where do you see him really fitting in? Yeah, undersized two all the way. Uh, I, I see very few, if any, likely zero point guard minutes for him, um, at least in my mind. I think you're looking at, at, a, at a two guard. But again, even if he is undersized, what he's done for himself has shown that he can carry that kind of scoring load that an undersized two guard would need to carry. So that's where he's really benefited himself is he's shown, hey, I can go get 20 points a night. So I don't think that the Pacers more you know, I don't I don't think they'll take him at 13. I'd be very shocked if he made it that far. But I'm curious, what do you think uh, his um, at, you know, what do you think he gets? Where do you think he gets drafted at? And what team are you hoping he gets drafted to maybe to kind of give him the best, you know, career in a, in a sense? Yeah. So I, I, I'll stay away from where I think he, you know, could or should go just because yeah. of the conversations we've been able to have and talking to teams, we have a fairly good idea. Okay. Um, I think you're looking at anywhere from 15 to 35 probably being his range i think it's wow. very wide that is just because wide. <laughs> some teams some teams are really bought in on the offense and the skill set and other teams uh you know i've talked to general managers who are very uh they're very hesitant to add somebody with that kind of tunnel vision and scoring and you know it looks like unwillingness to play defense or look for teammates at all so i know some people that really really love him others that will probably shy away. So I think he's got a wide range, you know, fully expect him to be a first round pick. That's not really a question in my mind, but um, I think probably 15 to, to, to 30 is probably where I'd have to project. He ended up. It definitely feels like a roll of the dice here. You know, that someone if, if in the right situation, it could pay off big. Maybe he's a sleeper. Maybe if not, you know, some other teams are right to let him slide. But, you know, when you're talking about such a range that big, do you think it was a really big, you know, bold move for him to withdraw from the combine? Uh, I mean, if he has a promise or even if there's two or three teams in the first to say, hey, you know, we're not going to let you slide past. No, I think pulling out from the combine was a great call on his, in, on his part. You know, if, if you get a first round promise, you know, 30 first round picks is one of those things where it seems like a ton. But if you're a player and somebody says, you know, we're going to take you that high, I think it's the right call by him and the agents, uh, maybe the agency to to kind of withdraw and play that safe and almost play your hand. So I think uh, I think it was the right call if they're confident that that they've got a surefire pick in that first round because that that'd be very good for him. Yes, I want to transition now to our third guy on our on our conversation today, which is Jaden Springer out of Tennessee. He did have a workout with the Pacers on July 1st, so I'm curious. You know, Springer joins backcourt mate Keon Johnson in this draft, and there's been a lot of comparisons. I think Keon Johnson is the more coveted prospect of the two, but I've had conversations with people that say Springer really should be considered, you know, uh, up in that same echelon. But with uh, Springer, he's a six foot four guard freshman, um, played with Rick Barnes this year at Tennessee, like I mentioned. What do you like about his game, and do you see him rising on this uh, on the on the big boards just because? of uh, potential and what he can maybe be in the, in the pros. Yeah. So Springer is one of those guys that the team executives, um, people making the decision do not have Springer as high as the media does. 
uh, at least in the conversations I've had with people, you know, there's some media outlets that like him up there in that top 10. And I think Springer's probably more likely to go in that 20 to 30, uh, prob- probably 15 to 30 range as well. If one of the most efficient players in college basketball this season could score at the rim, great mid range game could score in the paint um, and hit, hit, let's see, what was he? Uh, 43% from three as well. Strong rebounder, good passer, um, very strong on-ball defender, intelligent off-ball defender. It was kind of the whole package. He's undersized. I think he measured 6'3 at the combine. But, again, he's very, very young, will be 18 on draft night still. Physically developed, he's very, very strong for his age and athletic. Uh, so I think what you're getting is a, is a really, really strong, long-term, high-end role player in, in, in Springer. Um, uh, again, I think yeah, I think his range is is a little bit wider than some of the media outlets I think are given off at this point. Yeah, there's a lot about Jaden's game that I, I like a lot, but the one thing that really caught my attention is I read this quote numerous times: a tenacious on-ball defender and attacker. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the defense? When after we just went through talking about Cameron Thomas, a guy that feels all offense and no defense. Yeah, I mean, as a defensive player, Springer is a guy that you want on the ball. I don't think he's an elite on-ball stopper of the future. You know, I don't think he's big or long enough to be that. But again, he's the kind of player that I think in a couple of years you can say, hey, I, you're going to defend their best player. And I think he's going to do a good job on that team because not or on that player because not only is he physically strong enough, you know, he is very intelligent on that side of the ball. I want to talk about his shooting because he shot 44.4% from three last year, but only on 45 attempts. And I think he shot just above 80% on his free throws. So, I mean, it's a small sample size, but it seems like there is potential there for him to be a, uh, I guess you could say reliable shooter in the pros. Yeah. Like a reliable spot up shooter. Yes. I think the, one of the concerns from teams is the ability to create for himself, you know, get his own look and his own shot. Majority of his threes were off the catch, um, you, you know, or just, you know, stand still, not necessarily running off all kind of movement or even on off of a pull up off of a dribble. And that's where the long term, the high end upside is a little bit lower in some of these executives minds is, you know, he played point guard at IMG, played off the ball and offense at Tennessee and, you know, wasn't really a high level facilitator. So there's questions of, OK, people don't think he's going to be a point guard at the NBA level. You're not a point guard, and then you're only hitting your catch and shoot threes at six foot three with your bully guard kind of offensive structure. You know, how high is the upside for your offensive game? So, again, that's why I can understand some guys not having him in the top 10 of when they talk about the upside and, and that the floor is probably higher bet than, you know, than the ceiling being crazy high. But again, Springer's a guy, he does all the little things right, um, very few mistakes. Um, he had a couple of games where he did have a lot of turnovers, but again, he's so young. Uh, I give him the benefit of the doubt there. I don't, I don't think it's a lack of decision-making or intelligence or anything like that. It's simply, you know, tightening up the handles, not dribbling into traffic, into the paint so often, uh, just stuff like that. You know, I've, I've read numerous times, time and time again, that he moves very well without the ball and leveraging screens. We've already touched on his defense, but do you feel confident that this is someone that can impact the game without the ball and hands on the next level yes I do I think he can impact the game off the ball on both ends of the floor which is does which is what makes him valuable um and and I and I do think uh he I don't think he's going to slip too far 
Yeah, so I want to ask about, you know, how he's able to coexist with, coexist with guys that, you know, on, on Tennessee, like we mentioned, Keon Johnson was kind of the guy that the prospect that everybody, you know, looks at for Tennessee, and he kind of just fit right in, only 18 years old, didn't really, you know, have to be the guy, didn't really mind taking a step back and being a, a guy that fits in with whatever the coaching staff wanted. So, I mean, I'm assuming he's a player's coach, but uh, in terms of just how he coexisted with, you know, star talent. Do you think that could land him in a, in a, in a position maybe where he could be utilized more as that kind of, that kind of player? I don't think you'll see him utilized as, you know, a lead creator by any means, but again, his ability to coexist with different kinds of players is what makes him valuable. Um, you know, you look at championship teams, contending teams, yes, they have their superstars, they have their elite scoring guard, or they have their, you know, all NBA center. But then do you have to have the role players? You have to have those fourth and fifth starters, those six men off the bench who do the little things right, do them well. But again, at a very high level, even though they aren't quote superstars. And that's where I think people see the value in Springer. You know, the easiest way to get carried away is seeing a good player comp. And one that I saw for him was Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart is a known tenacious defender in the NBA. Do you think that he can at least have the ability to maybe be a more efficient offensive, you know, game while also kind of, you know, still having that defensive capabilities that Marcus Smart brings, or is it too, uh, too much of a comparison? No, I actually don't hate that comparison. Um, I <laughs> admittedly am not a big uh, NBA like draft comp guy. Cause yep. I think it can put you. just some negative or maybe too, uh, maybe too big of a lens on guys, you know, mm -hmm. too big of shoes to fill. But again, I don't hate the Marcus Smart one. I do think he's going to end up a better spot up shooter from three than Smart is. But again, you're, you know, not crazy big, tenacious on ball defender uh, on offense, willing to set the screens, willing to cut, can finish in the lane, can finish at the rim, you know, willing to do the dirty work. There are absolutely similarities there. All right. So I've got to ask because I know that he's not great at finishing above the rim. And you already mentioned that he's not a dynamic, uh, you know, playmaker. Do we think that those, you know, limitations can really maybe kind of make him lose a spot in the rotation, so to say? I mean, I'm not saying that he's a bad player at all, because I think he's a first-round guy and I really like his potential. But, you know, just he won't have that same ability to overpower defenders like he did in college. Um, I, so I guess where are some areas that he should work on to get better at uh, being able to finish at the rim and, and not get a shot blocked um, as much probably in the NBA. So he's got such good body control that even at the rim, even though he doesn't necessarily play above it, I think he's still going to be able to finish. Okay. I think he's going to be able to finish well enough. Um, again, he's got six foot eight arms as well. So even in traffic, he's got the length to go over around under between people. I think for him to really excel, for him to unlock whatever that ceiling may be for him, is to create jump shots off the dribble with regularity. I think that's what unlocks kind of Springer's next level offensive skill. It's, it's not necessarily, hey, how many mid-range points is he going to score? And, you know, he loves to get in there in the rain or in, in, the, in the paint in that mid-range, maybe eight to ten feet, and then just rise over and elevate over defenders. Like not only do I think that'll be a struggle at the next level, I don't know how many teams are going to let you regularly take that shot. You know, there are some coaches who aren't going to let you take that. So I think him creating off the dribble, pull up threes, maybe going back to his IMG roots a little bit and maybe running a little bit of pick and roll, which we 
maybe, I mean, rarely if ever saw at Tennessee, I think those skills on offense are what unlocks like, okay, this is, this is the Jaden Springer that everybody thought we would get. So something interesting that you brought up, you know, the mid range, that's why I want to transition over to our last prospect. Io DeSumo uh, from Illinois, 6'5", junior, point guard, shooting guard, you know, had a great year last year. A guy that loves the mid-range jumper. He made up 40% of his attempts last year, which I feel like sounds like a massive amount in today's game. Do you think he's going to be able to continue to have that be a large part of his game, or is he going to be forced to adapt on the next level that, hey, that might not be statistically the shot that you want to take? I mean, there are very few players that I think I would be confident in saying, that it will that it will be a part of their game. Um, I don't think it will be a large part of Dasunmu's. I think it'll be three pointers and getting to the rim. Again, he's so athletic and he's got really good positional size that attacking the attacking the rim, getting downhill, uh, finishing in traffic. I think I think if it's not threes, that's the way you're going to see Dasunmu really bring value to an offense. Yeah, and I mean Illinois really did have a great season this year. I think they won the Big Ten, if I'm not mistaken, but. Um, you know, they were one of the better teams and, and he was a big reason for that. So can you just talk about his leadership and how he can be kind of a tone setter in the NBA? Yeah, you know, word on Dasunmu is that, you know, he's got an incredible work, uh, work ethic mm-hmm. that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And I think you see that, especially in the way he improved from last season to this one. He improved his three-point percentage by almost 100 points, uh, improved his, his – uh, Free throw percentage as well. Two-point percentage went down, but again, on higher volume. Um, uh, Two assists a game more as well. Like, he improved as a playmaker, as a scorer, as a shooter, as a facilitator, everything. And again, great work ethic, good positional size, has shown that he can lead a team and lead a locker room, uh, and then go out there and get you buckets, but in an efficient manner. Uh, I, I think there's a role for him at the next level. We'll be curious to see if people play him as a one or a two. He's another one of those guys where you can almost call him a combo. He excels kind of catching off the cut or off movement and attacking the lane as a slasher, uh, but also can facilitate. Some people have questions on if he can be your full-time one. But again, he's, he's shown the skill set to where I think you can groom him into being that if you want to. Yes, uh, this is one of those players I think benefited the most from coming back to college. I mean, really had a great year. Two triple doubles, like Alex mentioned. They won the Big Ten. They were a one seed. Um, I, I think that he really elevated his draft stock. However, going to be close to 22 years old when next season starts. Does that worry you in regards to his draft stock compared to what feels like a lot of freshmen in that top 15? Yeah, the, you know, draft day age is one of those things. It really is in the eye of the beholder, you know, some general managers, uh, you know, they really want, you know, depending on their organizational timeline, of course, they really only want youth or there are some teams who shy away from the 22, 23, 24 year olds in the draft. And then other general managers, that's Hey, if they can play ball, they can play ball. You know, we'll fit them into the system. You know, something 21, 22, that's really not that old, you know, they still got, you know, seven or eight years left of like real high level basketball. So, I think maybe you could see it slip him a couple spots, but by no means do I think it's like going to be a detriment to his, his draft stock. Yeah. So let's talk about one of, you know, some of his weaknesses. What do you think are the areas he needs to improve upon the most to become a successful pro? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is just decision making. Um, sometimes shot selection, again, not a huge issue, but at times he kind of put himself in some bad spots. Can be turnover prone as well. He's got good ball handling skills, but could tighten him up a little bit. Nothing glaring. You know, I think just tightening up, kind of refining, really cleaning up his game as a whole. Uh, there's not much to me where I say, oh, like this is a huge red flag or where a team says, hey, this is a huge red flag and something we need to fix. So just to play devil's advocate, uh, based off of Alex's question, what do you think you're getting when you're drafting him at, in regards to taking his game to the next level? What is he going to excel at? I think he's going to excel attacking the rim in both the half court and transition. I think he's big enough. He's fast enough. He's long enough to where he's going to be a guy that, He's going to be able to beat a lot of guys off the dribble uh, in transition. He's going to push the pace and he's going to push it really, really hard, especially in limited minutes. You know, he's used to being a high usage guy the last three years or his first three years in, at Illinois went 31 minutes, 33 minutes, 35, you know, carrying a load is not unusual to him. So if given eight to 12 minutes a game in his first season, if that's how you want to use him, like kids going to go hundred miles an hour. So I think he's going to push the pace a lot in both half court and transition and really, really attack the rim and making plays off of that. I think he'll you'll see a decent number of assists from him as well, uh, creating for shooters because the defense is going to have to collapse on him. Awesome, Derek. Well, I think that wraps up all of our questions in terms of individual players. But I got to ask you, if you could rank these four guys that we talked about, how would you rank them one to four? Oh man, you know, that is, that is, it's so, it's so tough because depending on what my team needs, you know, I think that that could be answered in a variety of ways. Okay. Well, let's let's assume we're the Pacers. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let's assume we're the Pacers. Um, I think I like man Springer Dasunmu Thomas. Yeah. That's, that's the order I actually had too. So Um, just, just real quick, as we wrap this up, I know these guys more than likely won't be there at, I mean, they'll be there at 13, but they probably won't be the pick the Pacers make. I mean, there's still a a slight chance one of them could be, but the, the odds are not in their favor, but at 13, just looking at the board overall, who do you like for the Indiana Pacers? So at our basketballnews.com mock draft right now, we actually have them taking Davion Mitchell. Mm -hmm. We have them taking the point guard from Baylor again. Point guard is a position of need, I believe. He can come in and he can play right now. He's going to get buckets for you, create space off the dribble. Um, to another tenacious on-ball defender. I mean, this kid really causes problems for people. Uh, so I think I think Mitchell could be an option. Um, I also believe that Josh Giddy could be an option. Giddy's Giddy's range is is interesting depending on who you talk to. I've heard anywhere from you know, seven to 20, depending on kind of who likes him. So there is a chance that he could be on the board. And I think he could also be a, a viable option. So those two kind of stand out to me as, as on ball creators that the Pacers could look at. I'm very much intrigued by Josh Giddy. Um, you know, I'm not hundred percent sold at 13, but I, I do think that uh, he has great upside. So I'm intrigued to see where he lands, but Derek definitely want to thank you for coming on. I thought you provided great insight into these four players and uh, you know, really just got us excited but what's going to unfold over this next month. Yeah, no, guys, again, I appreciate it very much. Always happy to talk draft. And, uh, you know, some of the most fun ones I do are, are where you get to put on your team lens and not just kind of look at the draft as, as a yeah. whole, you know, because that's what, that's what these GMs do. You know, you can make big boards and mock drafts all day long, but until you see, you know, the 12 players that have been taken ahead of you and really have to put on your Pacers GM hat and make a call, it's when it gets really interesting and, quite frankly, really fun. So I appreciate it.
Yeah. So before I, I have you uh, give out your social media stuff and where people can find you at and all the work you're doing, is there any chance our guy Moses Moody falls to 13? Yes. Okay. Ooh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll just I'll just say yes. Okay. Gives me some uh, gives us some hope because that's the guy we really like here at setting the pace. So uh, fingers are crossed for that. Thank you for just making my night. But um, yeah. <laughs> all right, Derek, uh, where can the people find you at on social media? What do you have coming out for basketballnews.com? Yeah. So my Twitter is the Murray NBA. Uh, you can follow Matt Babcock as well at Matt Babcock 11 and uh, over at basketballnews.com. Uh, we just updated our mock draft uh, this morning, actually. So we put that out and then we've got some other content coming. We went and saw a James book night workout a couple weeks ago, uh, Jonathan Kaminga workout a couple weeks ago, and I've got a couple scheduled uh, for next week as I travel home as well. So uh, we'll be getting that stuff up there. But, yeah, check out our mock draft, player profiles, uh, the YouTube page as well. So uh, whatever you guys want to look at. But, again, we appreciate all the support. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prospect Chronicles. We gave you four and one today. So hopefully you guys enjoyed a lengthier episode. And if you haven't uh, got a chance to listen to the other ones, you can go back and look on our Setting the Pace feed and find the interviews. I think we've done five or six now, Fudge. It's been a lot of fun looking at these guys. Oh, it really has. That's why we had to hit you with a quadruple special today over here, you know, four prospects, just as many as you can get. So uh, I think that it was, uh, you know, we made sure to not over dissect any of these guys, but I think it was great to learn more about this first round because Alex, a lot of these guys, we didn't get to watch, you know, LSU games as much this year or even Tennessee. And there's a lot of great talent in this draft. So it's been a lot of fun, you know, bringing on guests that can tell us more about these prospects. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. So we've actually covered Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody, Josh Giddy, Jalen Johnson from Duke. Then we went on to talk about James Booknight and Zaire Williams. So those were the conversations before this one. So I'll put those out in a tweet on Twitter and just let you guys see um, what, what guys we have covered if you happen to miss it. I know some people said that they didn't get a chance to listen to those. And I know we started our draft coverage early, but, hey, uh, the draft is going to be here in just a couple weeks, Fox. So I, I'm excited and after talking with Derek, like I said, I just I feel really excited about what's going to happen. And um, I'm keeping my eyes close to, close to the uh, 10 to 12 range to see who goes just above the Pacers at 13. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have my eyes on, on specific needs for those teams before us because, hey, it, it, I don't want to say it would shock me if we drafted a center again. But I, I, I'm, I'm leaning that we're not going to draft a center after all that, you know, keeping the Tabonis combination alive. So I feel like, hey – Everyone ahead of us, go on. Take snatch up all the centers. Leave us everyone else because I'm getting real excited. We're going on about, I guess it's still four weeks, but you wouldn't know it talking to me because all this prospect talk we've been having, I want this draft now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So just want to give you guys a heads up over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have our good friend from Mavs Draft back on Rich to talk about Keon Johnson and Davion Mitchell. So um, those will be really intriguing prospects that could possibly go above the Pacers, but they could fall to the Pacers too at 13. So we're going to have him on to talk all things uh, Keon Johnson and Davion Mitchell with Fachi. We're wrapping up this show. Where can the people find us at on social media? You can find Setting the Pace on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And at the end of the day, if you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers and newly appointed head coach Rick Carlisle, say these three words. Let's go Pacers!